Welcome to the 310th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thank you for listening. Hooray, we have rain in Florida. Now we're saying, okay, enough's enough. Uh, we're into our rainy season, more like the jungle down here, but um, humid, rain, less humid, more humid, rain, humid, rain, you know, you know the drill. Got a little tropical storm Eliza headed our way. Maybe, perhaps, we'll see what happens. Happy 4th of July to all of you out there listening. I hope you took place, or if you didn't take place in our conference on summertime foods, I hope you have our cookbook so you can make some carrot dogs or some beet burgers, potato salad, pasta salad for your 4th of July picnic. No need to fret over all those other non-healthy carcinogens that will be served. Lots of other potential desserts, of course, lots of fruit. It's watermelon season. It's my favorite time of the year, mango season. So I've been doing mango runs. We have neighbors a mile and a half up the road that don't like their mangoes, and so we get to harvest them. So I have made it part of my run in the morning. So I take Sophie for her three-mile run, and then I come back and put my running vest on that should hold a Camelback water flask, but instead I take it empty and I fill it up with mangoes and run back. So I have about six pounds of mangoes on the way back for my mile and a half. Um, and it's, you know, you can feel it. You can feel it enough that... You know, if you're thinking about running a marathon and you have six pounds you could part with, it would really make a difference. Apparently, there's about two minutes per mile speed gain for every pound lost. So, uh, again, if you've signed up for a marathon and you can pinch more than an inch and you want to run a little faster or a little bit more comfortable, I suggest that might be a way to get around it, um, but I have fun getting the mangoes, so it's it's fun to go up and pick up some mangoes, come back, and uh, have them for breakfast. feel like I earned my breakfast, you know? I'm a hunter-gatherer, so to speak. Yeah, our own mangoes, we have one tree that uh, is doing pretty well and has some really tasty mangoes. We had another tree that ended up just with a few, and the squirrels beat us to a couple, but we had a couple great ones, so we have about... I don't know, um, probably 10 different varieties of mango trees there. Are, and there, you know, if you haven't had a Florida mango, you know, try to find one someplace. You can actually order them in my, out of Miami, their East Coast or even the West Coast. Um, what's ripening in Florida, I'll put a shout out to my friend Matthew Reese, has mangoes uh, on his farm here in the, on the West Coast that you can get but um I, try a florida mango they don't have any fiber there's so many different varieties and tastes that um just again just my favorite fruit so i hope you um can get a hold of one of those um great way all kinds of different things you could make with mangoes for the fourth of july so don't be afraid to take your plant-based dish i talked to a member today she's going to a cookout she called ahead and said hey what are you guys planning on having? Do you mind if I bring uh, something to throw on your grill? Uh, I'm going to bring a salad with me. And, um, you know, and her husband's like, are you really want to do that? And she's like, yeah, I've gone too far to, you know, let this slide. So I really applaud her. We have another member. I'm going to try to get her on the podcast. Uh, she did a camping trip 
plant-based and took her dog and uh, made her own, you know, energy bars for her hike and uh, did quite well. So, I mean, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. If you want to do this, this is not that, that hard. You can keep it simple. You can make it complicated. Uh, but you can certainly make it tasty and uh, great. This week I have been experimenting with um, egg rolls. And you say egg rolls, but it's the... Um, And tonight I had lentils that were left and I did a Mexican type egg roll. I did um, mushrooms again. I like the anti-cancer benefit of mushrooms. I try to get as many different varieties and in them into my uh, menu as many nights of the week as I can. So we did portobello mushrooms in a food processor along with I cooked the lentils and then we did fresh salsa and put this and rice and wrapped those up in the egg roll and had salsa on the outside and had some corn on the cob and actually had a sauerkraut cold salad with beets. So I got my nitric oxide producing greens. So that was a good dinner. And that was quick because I've had some, had a, had a fairly rough day uh, at the office and then been having some uh, work done at the house. So I was meeting with my pool contractor and, um, you know, dinner got delayed and was a little late so I had the lentils that were already soaked and split and cooked those up pretty quick so it was a quick dinner you know less than 30 minutes during the week is what I aim for to get food on the the table and you know I, I think that you know when I how I think of things basically uh, is a combination of what I want to have and what I have available so with a pretty good stock pantry, you, you have some options. But I, but I always think about, um, you know, what, what's on hand. I, I want to have some greens of some sort, my nitric oxide producing food. So whether that's broccoli or cauliflower or maybe a big salad or kale, whatever those, you know, regular old cabbage, red cabbage, I, I want to make sure I have that on the menu. I want to have something that's going to sustain me. So that's where the grains and potatoes come in. So I'm not hungry an hour after I eat. And I want to have um, a, a bean of sorts. So whether it's lentils or beans or even tofu, that those are options. And again, I told you I like to have the mushrooms because I like the anti-cancer benefits of those. And then to throw another vegetable in. So, you know, maybe I have carrots, maybe I have zucchini, um, eggplant, whatever I, I tend to have uh, around, that's, uh, you know, how I try to plan my meal. So it could be something as simple as sweet potato greens and beans. Um, again, tonight I had the sauerkraut and beets as my nitric oxide foods, and then we had the beans rice salsa. Um, so the tomatoes would have been part of that. It was a fresh salsa. 
I had my lentils, I had the grain being a rice, the wrap, and then we had corn on the cob. Forgot about that. So we had corn on the cob. So those are kind of the way I try to put things together. And uh, I, I always try to shop that way too. I ate a big salad for lunch. So I alternate between kale salad, arugula salad, mixed green salad. Um, those are, you know, those are usually the greens that I have for loose leaf salads um, during the week. I prefer usually to have a grain on my salad. Most of the time it's rice, but it could be quinoa. Uh, and then I, you know, always cucumbers, peppers, tomatoes. That's the, the usual in, in, a, in a dressing. So, you know, or leftovers, you know. So one night this week we had um, lentils with cauliflower, zucchini, and mushrooms over rice. So, you know, I repurposed that again for my lunch. I would have had the cauliflower in that. So I feel like I got my nitric oxide producing um, vegetable. And I just really like a salad at lunch. So I almost always have at least a small salad on the side if I have leftovers. But for the most part, I like a giant salad for lunch. So that's, that's kind of how I do it. Keep and again, keep it simple. Um, and, you know, I have my fruit in the morning. I may have some fruit after lunch, depending on what's available. I kind of like watermelon after lunch. but it, uh, And then I have some fruit in the evening. So, you know, it, it's, it's really simple. Um, maybe the weekend I'll try something different or I'll experiment on uh, my family for what we're going to do in nutrition class in the upcoming week. But, um, you know, it should be fun. And, you know, I was talking to somebody today about the prep. You know, the prep is standing up and cooking and cutting and moving and squatting to get a pot and, you know, toe raises to get another dish. And, um, you know, I, I think of it part of my mobility routine. I listened to a podcast with Katie Bowman. I'm going to try to get her on the podcast if, you know, she's not too, uh, too above my station in life to speak with me. But uh, I like to have her on the podcast because, you know, she talks about how do you move your body throughout the day in your different tasks you know do you look only close up at a computer screen or do you go outside and look at the distance or golf or look something where you're focusing at a distance do you do something that you use a grip uh you know grab a knife uh hit a hit, grab a grip on a tennis racket or a golf club or a hoe or you know um a hammer because grip, grip strength is extremely important, as we have spoken before. You know, do you change positions? Are you on the floor? Do you stand up? Do you have your arms above your head? Do you reach out? Um, you know, so these are all movements that we should be doing every day. And if you don't move your parts, they get stuck and start to fade away. And, you know, speaking of that... Um, I was listening to yet another podcast that talked about, you know, what's the best way to add muscle um, or what's the best way not to lose muscle. And uh, I have alluded to bed rest studies in the past where, you know, 21-year-old people can lose significant amount of muscle mass two weeks in bed. But if you look at older individuals, you know, if you think about either having COVID or the flu or breaking a hip, you can lose about 7% of your muscle mass or a 7% muscle mass loss in a week. You also lose your aerobic capacity. So you, you get out of shape pretty quickly. The older you get, the quicker you lose it. There was a study looking at patients who had hip replacement and they looked at, and they were all elective and they were about 75 years old. And they looked at the muscle mass in both legs and they looked at the 
circumference and did a CT scan looking at the muscle mass, and they also did a skeletal muscle biopsy. And they looked at this at 5.6 days on average afterwards, and they had a 4.2% loss in cross-sectional area of the muscle and a 3.4% loss of muscle mass in the quadriceps. And mostly they lost type 1, which are slow twitch, or I'm sorry, they lost mainly type 2 fibers, which are fast twitch type fiber on, on biopsy, more so than type 1. And in some respects, that might be a little bit better because your mitochondria and processing uh, fat is more of your type 1. But, you know, previous studies have also shown 2 to 6% uh, decrease in leg mass with a uh, four to seven days of mobilization. There's also been studies that look at if you take um, an older population and you put them on a strength training program for a year and they get about a 2.6% increase in muscle mass. If you really work hard and they really stick to good exercise and you know a good strength training regimen, but then you can lose it all like in 10 days. So it, it's, you know, it's when you want to take those rest days or you think you don't need to exercise every day or you don't think you need to be mobile or move all your parts, you know, you can kind of think about that study um, that, you know, you can really lose a tremendous amount of muscle mass very quickly. On average, after the age of 65, we lose one to 2% of our muscle mass per year so, um, you know, the other side, side to that story is when people go, you know, they're trying to lose weight, they don't lose weight, they come into my office and they say, oh, you know, I, I'm not losing any weight, but I'm gaining muscle, muscle mass. That's what my coach said, and it weighs more, and that's why I haven't lost weight. Well, you know, in two to six weeks, that's really not something that's, that's, that's really going to happen. Um, but that's a good way to get you to sign up for another month at your gym membership. So, you know, take that into consideration that when you're doing strength training, if you're just going through the motions of going in and, you know, machine to machine to machine to machine and extending your leg and, you know, going to the water fountain and you're doing something else and you're not really, you know, taking it to the point where it stresses you, just kind of range of motion. It's great that you're doing range of motion and it's great that you got out of the house and it's great that you're walking to the water fountain. But if you're using this to build muscle, think again, you're going to have to put a little bit more oomph in it. And I, you know, it kind of takes me to the next stage of, you know, and what this podcast is kind of leaning off onto is, the trade-offs that we make, uh, and everything has a trade-off, right? There's no 100% gain in my way, no downsides to this. When somebody tells you there are no downsides to this, you know, look out, right? Because there's going to be some downside. Even the plant-based diet, right? There's some downside. People don't want to necessarily have to cook for you, or you might have to fight with a spouse or a family member or something along those lines. So there, there can be some downsides to it. There's no nothing in life that doesn't have a a downside, you hope that the upside's more than the downside, and you hope the risk of something is less than, the, the benefit is more than the risk, but um, a lot of times we don't think about that, and a lot of times we don't think about what we're actually trying to accomplish. We just get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, do the same thing, 
move, do the same weights, move the same weights. And, and we're not sure about what we're doing other than we're supposed to go to the gym and lift weights two days a week. So I think, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to take a step back every once in a while. And it's like, well, what am I, am I trying to do here? Am I trying to maintain the muscle mass that I have? Am I trying to increase the muscle mass that I have? Am I trying to improve my mobility? Am I training for something? And what would that be? It doesn't have to be necessarily a marathon. Um, and I think it's really important to look at, you know, am I able to move all my parts? I, I think grip strength is hugely important. I think um, being able to get off the floor is, is hugely important. I think being able to do a five mile walk is hugely important just as far as survival mechanisms. So if you did nothing else but to train for, you know, some of those things, it would, it would be great. But, you know, what, what do you hope to have out of your health? Medicare pays for a wellness exam. A lot of physicians office say, hey, you got to come in for your yearly wellness exam. Uh, and it is a great way to bill your insurance company because everybody's insurance and Medicare especially will pay for a wellness examination. It's a little bit bigger tick on the box. Um, but what does that get you? Um, if you pass your wellness exam, are you good for another year? Um, are you guaranteed anything with that wellness exam? You know, like when you get your car and you get, you know, your brakes are okay and they say, hey, you got, you know, 10,000 miles left on this or 5,000 miles left on this, you know, when you have your wellness exam, does, you know, your doctor say, you know, you're really good to go and you don't have to worry about anything. Keep doing exactly what you're doing and life will be great to your next wellness exam. No, nobody really gives you that clean bill of health, as people will say. You know, I do hear so-and-so had a clean bill of health and then they had a heart attack and died. Um, or they had a clean bill of health and then they got sick and died. Um, I never saw it coming. I could, I can't believe that, that it happened. I mean, I know they were overweight and they smoked and, but I just never saw that. I never saw that coming. Um, so I think, you know, we don't see things coming and we want to, you know, put a lot more weight in that wellness exam. But the reality of it is, what are they looking for and what boxes are predictive? Um, so I guess we could go through that a little bit. Um, if your body mass index is normal, meaning less than 24.8, and you'd really like that to be less than 24, probably 23 and a half if you're a woman. You know, you might get by with a 24.8 if you're a man uh, because women tend to carry a little bit more fat mass. You want it to be over 18. Um, so if the BMI is normal, if you don't smoke, that's, that's a good predictor. If you have smoked in the past and you can get out from it 10, 15 years, it, you know, it puts it in the rearview mirror pretty good. Um, not entirely, but pretty good. Decreases your risk. So you don't smoke and your body mass index is normal and your cholesterol, um, if your cholesterol is less than 150 and you're not on medications, Hooray, I think that's a really good predictor. If it's less than 200 and you're plant-based and your LDL is less than 100 and you're you know, doing what you can, and I, I think that that's probably a pretty good predictor that you're in, in good shape. Um, inflammatory markers you know, are okay as well. 
Um, inflammatory markers, meaning C-reactive protein and sed rate and other inflammatory markers. Blood pressure. Um, if your blood pressure is less than 120 over 70, off medications. If you're on medications, I think that you're holding the fort and your progression to worsening disease is not as much, perhaps, um, but it's certainly not a guarantee. So when you have to, you know, it's like swimming with a life jacket. Are you a good swimmer if you have to have a life jacket on? Probably not as good a swimmer as if you could swim the length of the pool without a life jacket. So this would be off medication. So if you're on medications, you know, that's a tick in your wellness exam as far as I'm concerned. And that pretty much gets you to the metrics, you know, I guess vision, nobody feels anything bad. Um, electrocardiogram, that's done um, because it, it, um, it's another box to tick. And as a physician, you can get paid for that. Um, what does it tell you? It tells you maybe um, if there's a change that you may have had an event, if you haven't seen a doctor in a year, that if there's been a change in that electrocardiogram that you could have had a silent heart attack per se, or that you may be developing some conduction abnormalities, some electrical problems. Certainly if somebody hears an irregular heart rate, that would be a definite indication to do an EKG. Uh, but it's a Polaroid picture of your electrical system right then and there that day. It tells you nothing about the future. It tells you about the past. Um, and then of course a physical examination, you know, can you move, you know, can you get off the floor? When's the last time your doctor asked you to get off the floor? Most of my patients have to get off the floor. Um, bird dogs we do in the office, we do planks in the office. Um, we do, we do squats in the office, depth of squats. We do shoulder range of motion because if you're losing those range of motions, then that's a tick in your wellness armor box. Um, so that's a sign of de deterioration. But if you, if you pass all those, you know, so you're, you're holding your own, um, is that enough? You know, is that what you want to accomplish? Or you're, you know, I heard somebody say today, I spoke with another physician and um, heard the, you know, it's, a, it's a normal for age, normal for age. Um, I got to tell you, if somebody said to me, that my scan was normal for age, I would be disappointed. Because that, you know, we're willing to accept a significant amount of deterioration. And um, so, you know, I, I take that with a grain of salt. I, I don't necessarily mean that's, a, that, I don't think that's a stellar thing. It, you know, you're deteriorating at a normal rate for your age. I think we could probably improve on that. I don't know that you need to deteriorate at a normal rate for your age. That's kind of like saying, well, everybody gains 30 pounds. And uh, so that's normal for age is to put on a few pounds and get a little bit more round. And um, it's kind of funny. I like to listen to um, my free time or my um, reading, fun reading is a non nonfiction by Ken Follett and uh, historical fiction. And I know I'm a nerd. But he, he describes, he's a wonderful writer. If you haven't read any Ken Follett, read or listened to any Ken Follett's books, I highly recommend them. He's such a great um, descriptor. You just feel like you've been 
you know, you're back in time, whatever error he's talking about. But I, I like it. I don't like it, but, you know, I kind of giggle to myself when he describes women as they're getting older, they're getting more round and, you know, uh, saggy and plump and all. And he never talks about the men being, you know, sometimes I guess he'll say the men are getting rounder or they're getting red-faced or something along those lines. But he, he, uh, he picks on women a little bit more, I think, than he picks on men as far as the deterioration of their physical attributes. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 but it, he says it in a manner that it's expected that people deteriorate uh, in that, that particular manner. And, you know, I, I, think, I think he's not too different from a lot of the world. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, they're getting up there. You know, you're getting a little bit more round. You get a paunch. You know, things are sagging. Um, you know, and so people accept things, which I don't think they necessarily have to. I think it's quite all right to have some, you know, wrinkles. And you know, obviously people change over age. I'm not really saying that that shouldn't happen. But I think far as body mass index and strength goes, I don't think that you have to be so accepting of losing it as um, we are in our society. But, you know, to, to wind this part up, I, I think, you know, take some time and, and see what your goals might be. Um, you know, who, who's your mentor? I think everybody should have a mentor, um, or somebody that they would like to emulate or, or be like, or, um, try to attain certain things, whether it's in whatever hobby that you might have. I think growth is really important in, in any aspect of your life, whether again, it's music, physical, uh, or, or whatever. And, and how do you do that? How do you maintain the ability to, um, either improve progress or, or, you know, again, what, what is it that you would like to achieve? And then you can work your goals accordingly. And I don't think everybody has to have the same goals. Um, but I think you should think about it. The general, I just want to be healthy. Um, I, I don't think, I think that that's, that's, there's no plan to that. I, I think you have to be more specific. I had a talk with someone today and it's like, you know, I remember, when I was in the ninth grade and the teacher said, we're going to write a research paper. And I had just moved to a Morgantown, West Virginia. I'd been from a little small town in Pennsylvania and English was not really, um, all that advanced where I came from. And, uh, I guess as of that sentence would probably tell you that, but nevertheless, I, you know, it's like, well, what's a research paper and, you know, what topic would I write on and how do you narrow something down? And so I, I think it, it's worth as far as your physical health to kind of have a, a little bit of a key on what you do. I, I still, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I am a huge fan of having a calendar and writing things down so you can kind of look back year to year. The Garmin Connect is a great way to do it if you don't want to write down. You can see what you could do from year to year. And, you know, what might you do? Um, again, Katie Bowman on her website, natural, um, it's not natural mobility. It is living in the wild, I believe is her last book. Um, but move your DNA. If you, if you Google Katie Bowman, you'll get to it. But she has a kind of a chart there that you can kind of take it, take a, for instance of what you do in a couple days 
and see how much you do move. You know, what do you move? Do you, you know, do you, do you ever get your hips behind you? Do you ever squat down below parallel? Do you ever get off the ground? Do you ever reach up? Do you ever hang from anything? Do you ever jump? You know, so those are things that you may think aren't as important as you age, but they are important as far as how your overall body's functioning. And again, there's always a trade-off. If you think, you know, I, somebody bought an electric bicycle. There's a guy in my neighborhood who rides an electric bicycle. And it's like, yeah, you can get further on an electric bicycle and you don't have to worry about getting home. But there's that trade-off that you don't push yourself either. You're just going to kick on that electric bicycle part and not have to really push things. And probably, probably going to deteriorate as far as your cycling skills a little bit quicker than had you had to pedal on the way home. There's risk versus benefits and procedures and tests. Uh, I don't believe anybody should have a test done unless they know what they're going to do with the answer, whether it's negative or positive. Even how you exercise, you know, are you exercising to hold on to what you have or are you exercising to gain? Are you exercising for more endurance or more strength because, or more flexibility or more stability because there's a give and take in both of it. I had Stu, Stu, uh, Stuart McGill on the podcast and he, you know he talks about that the stability of the stability of a power lifter um or the stiffness is more such than a gymnast a uh, gymnast you know needs a lot more mobility a power lifter needs a lot more stability um you you really can't have it both ways depending on what you do you can have a good bit of both same thing goes with medication. If you, you know, there's a new medication release for weight loss and its side effect is nausea. And if you stop taking the medication, you gain the weight back. If you, you know, but you continue to be nausea, nauseated if you're taking the medication. If you take chemotherapy, you may be ruining your immune system at the expense of, uh, or, 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 you know, cardiac side effects, but you may outlive your cancer cells. So, there's risk um, versus benefits in all of these, and where you are individually is where you actually have to decide if that risk is worth the benefit for you. And I, I think that, you know, that is really what's important. You know, there are all kinds of ways to lose weight, but some have the risk of increased risk of cancer over time or more osteoporosis over time or more muscle mass loss over time. Um, if you're a plant-based athlete, you might not be the strongest man in the world, um, or you may be. Um, it depends on a lot of more factors probably than uh, what you eat. But, um, you know, it may be a risk that you have to take. It's, you decide what, what those risks versus the benefits to you actually are. Um, and I've come up over and over and over again when I've, you know, analyzed eating plant-based versus not eating, eating the standard American diet. And there's no way that I would um, go back. There's no way that I'm willing to take the risk of a piece of salmon or the risk of a cheat meal um, for the potential short-lived benefits given the harm that it could cause me, especially given my genetics. But that's the assessment that I make. Some people that that would probably be un, unacceptable for. But, you know, again, I think even when you're talking with friends and family, you know, it's I've assessed for me the risks versus benefits. And this is this is what I believe is right for me. And, you know, I think people will leave you alone if you say something along those lines. 
um, I had, again, my pool contractor was here and he said, you know, I'm having some chest, I have some funny feelings in my chest. I might need to see you. And I said, frankly, I said, he smokes. And I said, frankly, and I know that he eats and I've heard what he eats. And actually they left their McDonald's bags in my house, which is kind of funny. And it's like, I, I don't think I should go onto my website and look, but I, I don't know that I'm the cardiologist for you. Um, I try to reverse disease and get people off medications through lifestyle changes, exercise, and plant-based nutrition. It's not for everybody. If you'd like to and you see the website and something you'd like to do, I'd love to work with you. But again, if that's not where you are, um, then you know I, I'm probably not the person for you. There are people out there that'll put stents in and let you eat what you want and give you medications, and, and that's okay for some people. But... Um, you know, my members want a little bit more. No matter how long I do this, the protein thing keeps coming up. How much protein do I need? Will I be deficient in protein, uh, which is a macronutrient? Again, blows my mind that people never thought about it when they were eating McDonald's. Nobody's ever asked, him, you know, if you eat uh, Cheerios for breakfast and McDonald's for lunch and a pizza for dinner, you're meeting your protein requirements. Nobody even worries about that yet. You know, throw in a few vegetables and some tofu and people think you're going to fall apart. And the reality of it is um, the biggest difference between the standard American diet and plant-based nutrition when it comes to macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fat, is that people that eat plant-based tend to get their nutrients as well as their micronutrients, you know, minerals um, and vitamins in smaller quantities from a multitude of different foods as opposed to three entrees. So again, if people have eggs and bacon and a glass of orange juice, they don't have to look far for where they got their nutrients. It either had to come from the eggs or the bacon or the orange juice. But when somebody has oats and chia seeds and sourdough bread and you know mango and blueberries and cherries and watermelon, and, you know, cabbage and mushrooms and zucchini and carrots and beans of all different kinds. And then, then you're getting little pieces of little macronutrients from a multitude of different places throughout the day. And at the end of the day, when you go to bed, you, you, you definitely um, get your basic macronutrients and your basic minerals, just like the person that might have got them on a standard American diet. Plus, You've got phytonutrients, antioxidants, and fiber. That's going to help you as well that you definitely didn't get in a standard American fast food diet. But I think it's hard to wrap people to wrap their head around, what am I going to eat? How am I going to put it together? And am I going to get enough of? Because it comes in little packets throughout, um, throughout your plate, not in just one big glob there in the middle of the plate. You know, um, so don't worry about it. It's, you know, again, bottom line, wide variety, color. Look to your grains and potatoes. Look to your beans, legumes, and look to your greens, and the rest will take care of itself. And, and eat to your full. And the last thing I wanted to hit on today was... Whether it's, it's called response inhibition um, or, you know, I guess to put it another way, I, I just 
can't say no. Um, impulsive behaviors is another way to say it. You know, I can't just eat one Oreo. I've got to eat the sleeve. I've got to eat the whole box of chocolates. I just can't control myself. If that food's here, I can't stay out of it. Um, what is that? Um, you know, people describe it as impulse control, but that can be really cruel when you describe it as that because impulse control means, you know, people have outbursts that are angry or all a bunch of other kind of things. And the question is, is it something that is learned? Is it something that's genetic? Is it something that can be changed? And, you know, again, it comes back to, you know, there's trade-offs. You can probably take medication to chemically restrain yourself, uh, you know, or never have Oreos in your house or never go any place where there's a chocolate. And, uh, you know, so there's ways to help you not have to be tempted as much or have to deal with the uh, impulse control. There was a study done by Walter uh, Mischel. Uh, a lot of people may have heard it in the 1960s. He was a psychologist that took preschoolers and he gave them marshmallows and he put them in a chair with the marshmallows and they could eat them or now or they could wait 15 minutes and for a reward. And they followed these people for decades and the people that could resist eating the marshmallows right away tended to do better in school, uh, would go to school longer, more of an education, they had lower BMIs, uh, maybe a little bit more successful. And the question is, well, is that something they learned or that's just, you know, part of who they were, or their genetics? And, and then there was another test, which I think is really interesting that they did. They took people and they showed them words like the word green but they would make the the color of the word blue and so they would flash these words up and you'd have to say you know what color it was you'd see green but the word was blue and so you'd have to say blue and so they would count the people's score over time and you know it was somewhat stressful because the more this flashed up it's kind of monotonous and they associated um, that was very fatiguing so much so that if they did it with athletes and then had them run five a 5K, if they did them with anybody, their their athletic performance or their physical performance was impeded by the stress that they had undergone before with those, um, you know, green. So the people that had the better scores were able to uh, do better uh, physically. Uh, they weren't as stressed, and the question was why. And then they repeated it with. Uh, professional cyclists and it didn't have any effect on them they they could they could do the, the what their score was didn't matter um, with their athletic performance and so the question was it's something that can be learned or trained and you know I, I think that it can be um, you know I think we all have our crosses to bear uh, whether you tend to have high blood pressure or be you know a High, high strung individual or again tempted easy you know a little bit more impulse control or a little bit more um you know unable to sit still as long maybe or you know concentrate we all have our cross to bear as far as what we can do better than other things again trade-offs right but i think that we can get a little bit better at our weaknesses by okay not just saying well i just can't control myself but how might I be able to control myself better and training to do some of those things? And, you know, just simple, simple activities that you're, you're actually focused on 
you know, saying no or delaying and, um, and, and you learn over time that, you know, you have, you know, I, I kind of refer to them. I think it's, it's fairly common when I say a hard no to certain things. And then you realize that that's something that you can do and you get confidence in your ability to be around it. Um, you know, certainly, um, people that have gone through um, different programs for detoxification can learn to be in the room with uh, people, maybe not on a regular basis, but for short periods of time, uh, and be okay uh, in, in a lot of instances. And it's because they've kind of worked, you know, worked the program and they've um, learned their triggers and, you know, learned when that they need to get themselves out of a situation. Obviously, you know, if you really uh, have trouble with, you know, not eating donuts and you try to sit in a Dunkin' Donuts all day, that's probably stressing yourself out a little too much. But on the other hand, um, you know, if you can kind of, you know, make a, get a good reason for, you know, why you don't want to eat donuts. If you don't know why you shouldn't eat donuts, you can email me, uh, jamie at drdelaney.com. Um, but, you know, be to the point where you should be able to go and Dunkin' Donuts and get a cup of coffee or be in an airport, not stop at a Dunkin' Donuts. So I, I do think that we can work things as opposed to just saying, well, it's just the way I am. Um, I, I think it's a great opportunity for all of us to work on what we need to work on a little bit more and not just give in to this is just how I am. So, um, I don't think anybody's doomed. Um, I don't think anybody's, you know, I think we all have the opportunity to get better and work on things. And I think you should enjoy it. Uh, you know, I, I think you should enjoy it. Life is a marathon. so I like marathoning uh, much more than a sprint. So a little bit better today than you were yesterday. Um, hopefully you're not as good today as you will be tomorrow. But try to be a little bit more mindful about what you do. And, um, you know, think of it as a challenge, not as a penalty. And I hope you all have a very safe 4th of July, a very healthy, nutritious, outside, getting good microbes with friends and family. Healthy, happy 4th of July. God bless America. See you next week.